the products of science is what today is threatening human existence. But science is also self-correcting, and if it only is put to proper use, it could get humans out of uh, this predicament with uh, the environment. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to talk about neuroscience. And uh, it might seem a little off topic for the Author's Corner, but I invite you to open your mind because our guest today is actually one of the world's leading experts on the human brain. George Paxinos studied at Berkeley, McGill, and Yale and is Professor of Medical Sciences at Neuroscience Research Australia and the University of New South Wales in Sydney. He was the president of the Australian Neuroscience Society and the World Congress of Neuroscience, and he has identified and named more brain areas than anyone in history and published, get ready for this, 57 books. His first, The Rat Brain in Stereotoxic Coordinates, is the most cited publication in neuroscience and for decades, the third most cited science book of all time. His Atlas of the Human Brain received awards from the Association of American Publishers and the British Medical Association, and his atlases and concepts of brain organization are used by most scientists who are working on the relationship between the brain and cognition and emotion, motivation, and thought. Now, this last point, emotion, motivation, and thought, is a clue to why I wanted to have George on the author's corner, because the path of authorship is loaded with opportunities to become aware of our mindset, to become aware of our triggers, to become aware of how we might overcome our past and create a new future. We also talk about how our minds and how human beings are wired is having an impact on our climate change problem. And lots of other really fascinating things. We even talk a little bit about AI and its relationship to this whole mind consciousness equation. So I just invite you to tune in, listen, and enjoy because we are about to go on a very fascinating journey. So, George Paxinos, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you, Robin. Good day. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. You know, as I was looking at your list of, I mean, you know, you've published over 57 books, so obviously we're not going to be <laughs> able to cover everything. But, you know, just this incredible body of work that you have. And I was thinking about, you know, you've written about the brain and how it works and how it affects our, our mood and our motivation and our creativity and all these different things. And, 
you know, I can't help but wonder what your perspective is on AI and chat GBT as because you are a writer and a brain expert, right? <laughs> and, and so, and I'm really bad at delayed gratification. So I'm, I'm launching into the question that is my most burning question is what are your thoughts on like based on what you know about the human brain the human mind and artificial intelligence doing writing for people i'm just curious do you have any sort of global perspective on this that you could share with us um as perplexed as uh, most people are who can put it to use but i do not think unlike some of my friends who work uh, on ai i do not think that uh, it will develop emotions at the moment i have seen no indication that a macintosh computer has fallen in love with an ibm computer not even with another macintosh right so they seems to be something other than complexity that accounts for our conscious experiences, uh, how it, things feel, emotions, the inner self. Uh, so yeah, the AI is a slave the, in terms of where it's getting us, uh, certainly not to a good place since technology has developed in general and AI more so, there hasn't been any improvement in the fundamental issue at, that I think is facing us, which is constructing a sustainable society that does not destroy itself. Mm -hmm. And if anything, AI will accelerate our travel to where we are heading, which again is not producing a society that does not destroy itself. Now, this kind of points us towards, surprisingly, and maybe to some of our listeners, this really points us more towards your novel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, A River Divided. Would you share with our listeners a little bit about that story? Because I think this is a great segue, right, to yeah. some of these issues that we're talking about regarding AI yeah. from, from there yeah. to here. Was a failure that led to fiction for me. Mm. I was an environmental activist, but failed in the things I tried to do to reintroduce the trams to Sydney and other things such as protecting forests, of course, joining groups for this. And I thought that if only I could come up with a novel and work not to stop a person who wants to cut a forest, but work upstream of behavior at attitude, make them want to protect the forest, mm. then I might be more successful. Unfortunately, as E.O. Wilson said, we stand puzzled before nature. We don't know why we're here. We have medieval institutions. Just look at the religions, how mm. they are stuck on dogma, something which is yes. contrary to the teachings of the Enlightenment, mm -hmm. where you dispense with dogma and uh, you believe in evidence. You follow evidence, you follow science. It is the opposite as it concerns religion. Science makes mistakes and indeed science, the products of science is what today is threatening human existence. But science is also self-correcting and if it only is put to proper use, it could get humans out of uh, this predicament with the environment. Where, um, according to the book, which thank you for mentioning it, uh, A River Divided, according to one of the characters, Jose, in fact, in the book, he says there's nothing that is immoral in nature. But mm. if there were something immoral, it would be 
this generation setting the conditions of extinction of its own progeny in a terrestrial inferno. Mm, yes, so true. That is something that has puzzled me continuously with people denying climate change and not wanting to address the problems and just keep pushing them forward. And I just keep thinking, don't you care even about your own grandchildren? <laughs> like your own yeah. offspring? Like even if you don't care about anyone else's, don't you at least care about yeah. your own enough to realize that this has to change? Yeah, it's paradoxical. Mm -hmm. But as Mark Twain said, it is hard to convince a man to believe something if by believing he loses his job. Mm -hmm. In our case, we will lose mm -hmm. many jobs. We will lose our cars, our airplanes, much of electricity use. This, it's all a function, of course, how many people and how much each one of us pollutes. But if you're mm -hmm. going to retain 9 billion people on the planet, then you can't have airplane travel, uh, not even ships with a way propulsion uh, that pollutes or even constructing cars, let alone using them to do mm -hmm. that, uh, to make the batteries and to make... Uh, yeah, the, the batteries components. of the... <laughs> yeah. Well, I've read about some very interesting technology that is pretty much ready to go where we could have cars made of carbon that run on solar, right? But it takes everybody being willing to give up what they're used to. Well, you'll have less pollution if you run on solar, but solar cells to be yes. cleaned there you pollute. Yeah. And to if you are going to use batteries and you need cadmium and other mm -hmm. things and you have to rake the bottom of uh, the Pacific Ocean, yeah. uh, then you're going to produce other things. Uh, the safer mm -hmm. course would be a moratorium until it is proven mm -hmm. that you can actually use your car. Uh, mm -hmm. that you can make a car which does not damage irreparably the planet. Yes. Until then, uh, a moratorium. That would be very motivating, I imagine, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, well, there's, uh, what does the human brain do when it has that kind of... <laughs> you know, yeah, I, uh, I've noticed, right? Like, I think we get our most creative when we're out of options for what we would be our normal go-to. Well, that's what Churchill said. I'm convinced humans will do the right thing once everything else fails. Right. <laughs> yeah. And is that now, is that something that is uh, measurable in the human brain? Like, do we, can you actually see when the brain is, is finding something that is uh, outside of the normal neural paths? Where there, where, when there's uh, enough, enough stress? The discovery, the innovation. The brain, it's hard. I mean, if you put someone in the magnet uh, while they are having some uh, thoughts, well, any thought will activate some parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, there might be some excitement uh, in the brain if they uh, have the delight of actually finding something that uh, they are proud of. Uh, but as to uh, deciphering what neurons are responsible for innovation, uh, well, I mean, I would exclude some areas of the brain, but then that leave a lot of real estate still in doubt. <laughs> right. as to, uh, uh, which one is, I mean, I would take out the hypothalamus. I don't think that's involved in innovation. <laughs> I think it's right. involved uh, with the basic instincts, appropriation, mm -hmm. uh, eating, aggression, territoriality. Yeah, but in... Uh, the the issue of uh, 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 what is it that uh, 
leads to innovation. Well, even figuring out a better route to go to your house in the evening is innovation. That is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not just discovering electricity that's innovative. And uh, birds and, and other animals uh, have this. I study the brain of the bird. And uh, when I mentioned that initially, I got the reaction that incredulity, I mean, why? Like, you know, haven't you heard bird brain? It turns out uh, <laughs> birds have first class brains. They just haven't had good public relations. Uh, <laughs> and they can solve problems. And uh, crows are especially clever, being able to shape a, a piece of wire that's available in the cage into a hook to retrieve some food that is just outside of reach for them, uh, something that a rat would not do. Right, uh, right. So yeah. uh, they are talents. Yeah. Nature produced good brains. Otherwise, you would be food to someone else. Incidentally, mm -hmm. this is my trade. I construct atlases that scientists use to navigate the brain inspired by human considerations such as schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, epilepsy, to construct animal models of disease, do their experiments, and then relate their observations back to humans mm. so that they will navigate uh, seamlessly between uh, the brains of mammals, including other primates and uh, birds. I have been a good model for behavior because you can study them in uh, the egg mm. without uh, anesthetizing the dam, without cutting, mm. her, right. without yeah. bleeding. So it, it's available to you, the mm -hmm. embryo right there. Wow. <laughs> so embryonic studies, who are, embryonic development is very important for uh, then the brain development and everything, everything else. Yeah, it's really fun to observe animals, even the so-called everyday animals like bees or birds or foxes. You know, I live in Old Lyme, Connecticut, so we have a decent amount of wildlife around. And, you know, it's been really fun for me to watch because there's a lot of really organized social behavior that's readily observable. And it really makes one appreciate, like you said, that there's this consciousness, there's this intelligence that is not not only not exclusive to humans, we're probably not even at the top of the line of, of, <laughs> of the most evolved. <laughs> well, in intelligence, I think we are uh, okay. at the top of the line. <laughs> uh, but in uh, emotions, they uh, have developed emotions. And uh, if you look, the, what you are really pointing out is that there's a continuum which, of course, was pointed out by many people, including in a major way by Darwin, which mm. uh, who dispensed human exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. However, this has not sunk in humans. That's actually one of the reasons that I wrote my novel, that is to understand who we are. There is something written in the pronouns of uh, the temple of Apollo in Delphi, it says, know thyself. And while it might look uh, like a slogan that someone decided to write back then, it actually has a meaning if you want to look deeply into that. Who are we? That is, uh, what is human? What is to be human? And I think, again, part of the reason that they decided to write this, the novel, The River Divided, is that humans 
have not understood themselves. They are under the delusion that they have a soul, that they have free will, and that they are made in the image of God. If that last one is also, uh, if that one is, is, not, is also not a, a hubris, I don't know what it is. That's right, right. It is a hubris to compare yourself to God. And um, I was telling my granddaughter of eight years of age the story of Sisyphus, uh, who was a king of Corinth, but condemned by the gods to push a rock uphill all day for it to fall down and then have to push it up the hill again the next day because he was narcissistic, egotistical, and insulting. And my granddaughter said, like Trump. <laughs> she also illustrated it to me in, in a way that, a simple way, the problem with the environment, because I think we have a huge problem with the environment that we are trying to solve with a problematic brain. Mm -hmm. And yes. uh, I was, as it concerns the problem with the environment, I was telling my granddaughter, I was asking her to tell me something she would do today that would not pollute the planet. Mm. She said, running... I said, that's good, but if you run, you will wear out more shoes than running barefoot. I said, that's good, but if you run, you'll build up your appetite and they will have to slaughter more chickens to bring to you to the city to eat. She said, sitting in a chair. I said, that's good, but to make a chair, you've got to cut a tree, then lying on the ground naked. It is hard to think of something that you do today that does not pollute the planet. And the problem with us is that we don't know who we are. We don't know where we belong. Then what about free will? Now they think they make decisions, right? Mm. Well, neuroscientists have news. <laughs> there is uh, no room in the march of genes, environment, genes, environment for free will to elbow in and take part in the parade. Mm -hmm. So we are genes sculpted by the environment. And much like uh, uh, Praxiteles sculpted Hermes out of a block of marble, so does the environment form our behavior our, out of the genetic endowment we're given. Mm -hmm. There is, you don't choose your parents, you have no choice on mm -hmm. genes, then you don't choose uh, what uterus you have been uh, marinated in for nine months. Uh, whether your mother was smoking, mm -hmm. uh, drinking, dressed, mm -hmm. and then you're born in a, in a society, in a community. At any given time, your brain will make the decision for you on the basis of the genetic endowment you've received, and the environmental molding influences on that endowment. And there's no space, no, no crevice for free will to elbow in. So look at pure humans. Soul doesn't seem to have it. To have it. Uh, then free will, neuroscientists by and large say no, none at all, zero. Uh, now, not all neuroscientists say that. 
most do. Doesn't mean, of course, the majority is right, uh, but certainly most agree that if uh, everyone agrees that if there is free will, it can't be too large. Uh, freedom light, Coca-Cola light. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Freedom light. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you look at humans, then where are they? Uh, mm. No free will. But look at the delusion. They mm-hmm. think they are uh, made in the image of God. Well, uh, uh, Robin, as it concerns the brain, in whatever else you might be resembling the divine, as it concerns the brain, you are made in the image of the chimpanzee. And I can say, <laughs> and I can say that because I've studied the brain of the chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. Initially, I worked with a rat. Most psychologists work with rats uh, and um, who work with brains, that is. And uh, then I thought, well, I'll do an atlas of uh, the human brain. But before going to the human, let me try a non-human primate, Mm -hmm. such as the chimpanzee, where I would get the brain immediately after death at good condition, not Mm-hmm. Eight hours post mortem, right, right. when chemicals degrade, mm-hmm. uh, and then once I know what is there, then I can better understand the human brain. So I wrote to the Toronga, Toronga Park Zoo in Sydney for uh, a chimpanzee brain once one died uh, to do a post mortem, and uh, they responded. We would be happy to oblige, but we have not had the death of a chimpanzee in the zoo for a decade. <laughs> Two okay. months after receiving my letter, three chimpanzees died. Oh, my goodness. Luckily, they didn't suspect me. <laughs> I studied the brain of one of them, and I found no difference in the brain stem of the human and the chimpanzee that I studied in parallel. And after that, I also studied the human and also the the remaining brain of the human and uh, the uh, remaining brain of all the brain of uh, the rhesus monkey and the marmoset. The marmoset is the size of a small rat, Mm. and yet it has a primate brain. It has the same parts as us. The rat uh, has many parts that are the same, maybe 85%. But the cortex, the covering uh, of the brain, the top part of the brain, uh, is heterologous. It's not homologous. It's not similar in uh, the uh, rat. Of course, the chimpanzees don't go to universities. You're not speaking to a chimpanzee. And the suspicion is this is due to the fact that the chimpanzee has half the size of our brain, 600 grams to compare the uh, one kilo, 300 approximately, the human, uh, yet the body size is about the same. Mm. Uh, 60 mm. kilograms is the chimpanzee. So this seems to account for the absence of chimpanzees at universities. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, in many things, of course, they are capable and they are capable of uh, some language. As, as you mentioned earlier, other animals like the dogs, uh, my dog understood uh, commands in Greek and English mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, understood emotion right away. You could use the same oh, name yeah. 
the same word, but with a different uh, prosody, different tone to it, mm -hmm. with uh, admonishing tone or uh, friendly tone. And you could see whether the tail would wag or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think dogs it. are so sensitive to Like I can, my dog can even tell if I'm sad because she'll like come over and like sit on my lap or something or sit on my chest or something, you know? So it's, I think they really can read human emotions sometimes faster than we can read our own. Exactly. Yeah. They, they are attuned. So they, they're a social animal and they, mm -hmm. uh, nature produced uh, all these tendencies that were helpful, became encephalized into the mm -hmm. brain. Because mm -hmm. they've been our companions for 30,000 years or something. Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? In case you're new to the author's corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books that get published. With over 30 years of experience in the publishing industry, I have helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishers. Many have gone on to become bestsellers from Amazon all the way up to the New York Times. And others have increased their business income 600 times or more as a result of their book and partnering with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, go schedule a free consultation call with one of my trusted team members today. We have a limited number of slots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, go to www.worldchangingbooks.com forward slash application to apply for one of our exclusive spots. Once again, that link is www.worldchangingbooks.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. I have a question for you, though, because obviously, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I would say that this makes sense for most of the world. But obviously, there are people, many people who manage to transcend their environment, transcend their initial circumstances, choose out of what they were born into. What would you, how do you account for that? Um, I, you know, I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear what you have to say because yeah, that's, you're that's, the brain uh, expert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, there is a, a, a fundamental question that you're asking, uh, this variability, not or everyone in a society where they practice stoning women for allegedly burning their holy books. Not everyone, not every man will participate in the stoning. I, I would only say that if I were born in such a country, I would be equally likely to participate in the stoning as uh, men born there now. Uh, that doesn't mean that I certainly would, uh, because not everyone there uh, does. So there is variability uh, in uh, behavior, but the fact that you can predict that there will be no stoning of women in Australia, but if there are going to be stonings, they will be in those countries, that indicates that there's no freedom to choose. Uh, you're born there and you have a chance to do that. 
uh, psychology or, or the issue of uh, uh, whether there's free will is you don't demonstrate presence of free will by showing that some people will not following the uh, not follow the herd. Uh, uh, well, I meant more be... like like you see people born into a certain circum set of circumstances and or or they grow up around certain behaviors and then they bring a kind of a different kind of consciousness to how they view their situation and they and they choose a different kind of life for themselves. That's right. There are notable examples of those. The unfortunate thing is that there are not many. And yes. I can yes. give you evidence that... Uh, that, is, that we agree on. <laughs> I was just curious yeah. how, yes. you know, is, but, but, is that just kind of outliers? <laughs> how, would you, how would you categorize? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's right. No, no, uh, uh, fair discussion on this. Uh, but I'll bring you this evidence. There are some high schools in Sydney, in the poor areas, where nobody enters university, cannot... Mm. They just don't perform enough to enter university on certain years, all right? Mm. And there are other areas of Sydney where non-select schools, notice please, non-select, that is uh, you pay $30,000 and your kid goes there uh, this year. Every child mm. goes to higher education. Mm. So, uh, of course, there are those that will come from those underprivileged backgrounds and will break through and mm -hmm. they will they surprise everyone. But just look at what happens in most of the cases and look at this, who gets dementia? This is as good a datum, I think, in favor of uh, the genes or well, as uh, an environment, more really environment than genes, I'd say, than anything else. Just look at who contracts dementia. If you look at that, you will find the most significant factor in that is whether you were born rich or poor. Really? Yeah. And so if you're young, born if you're born poor you get dementia or if you're born rich you get dementia. <laughs> you will get it earlier. If you're okay? born poor. Yeah, 11 years earlier if you are an aboriginal Australian. Australian mm, than wow. if you're non-aboriginal. Hmm. Uh, they in many of them live in difficult circumstances and the mother is less likely to attend to possible placenta insufficiency in the third trimester of wow. pregnancy. Hmm. Less likely to be eating healthy foods, more likely to be drinking uh, alcohol. The child is more likely to sustain head injuries, the healthcare is not as famous, and uh, it just keeps going on. E education yeah. is a predictor of uh, whether you will uh, have early or later dementia. Most of us will develop dementia, uh, uh, will At come to point, us right? uh, unwelcome uh, in, uh, yeah, in our 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, but the issue is uh, whether you might uh, uh, develop later, die from something else, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and not, never show it. Uh, and uh, if you come from a poor environment, that condemns you already. So this is uh, where you can see the influence of the environment. Now, mm -hmm. the, your 
question is still important of why, what happens to someone who gets out of this uh, and what happens to people who say that, oh no, I will not participate in the stoning. Well, the brain is a amalgam of many areas, including areas that we have we share with crocodiles, right? So uh, there are instincts in there that are kept in check by other areas. So it's like uh, the US Congress who are fighting uh, Democrats, uh, Republicans. There's a civil war going on inside your brain when you think that you are making the decision and you are deciding. No, (laughs) there are different parts there. And your brain makes a decision in neurologic darkness and informs you of the decision and you think your narrator, the person who speaks right now, I decided, I, I, well, if you decided, uh, uh, then you go and tell those people who uh, have a heartache, they've just been abandoned, right? Tell them, no, yeah, forget it. She abandoned you, he abandoned you. Uh, yeah, forget it. Just move on, go to someone else. Well, so, uh, 50% of the people who are, over 50% of the people who are abandoned interfere with the person who abandoned them at their home, in the internet, in their work. Some of them hit them some of them kill them, some of Hmm. them commit suicide before they would change their affections. If only they would listen to the neuroscientists that there's uh, no freedom, the person who abandoned you cannot make themselves, herself or himself, love you any more than you can jettison this love that torments you. Mm. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's uh, there's no freedom in love, and uh, I can uh, quote nobody better than uh, Carmen. Uh, L'amour il n'y a jamais jamais connu des lois. Yeah, love does not obey the law. Uh, uh, so uh, there's evidence that there is uh, no freedom, but in terms of the influence of the environment, it's really a sculptor sculpting, uh, making the statue. The environment will make you what you are. Whatever you think that, no, it's me. <laughs> what does that mean? Right. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes, our, our own perception of what me is, is probably the subject of another interview. George, I cannot believe how quickly the time has flown. And this has been such a fascinating conversation, but I, I must end it. But Before we do, I would like to ask you my signature final question, which is, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer? What have you? uh, Oh, yes. What would I have? uh, What would I say to the Pope uh, if I came across him today, just after the interview, walked in, right? Oh, no, yes. during the interview, right? Oh, please. Okay. What, would, uh, what would you say to I, Pope Francis? <laughs> I, 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 I would say to him, why are you treating the environment the same way you are treating women? Uh, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin on one group. Nightingale, Madame Curie, Mother Teresa on the other. On the first group, from the first group, everyone is entitled to make an application to become a priest in your church. None from the second group need apply. And 
aren't you putting dogma before life when you are interfering with humans, attaining, stabilizing the population, their population, so that you don't have the situation where you increase the population, you double the population, and you double the environmental problem, everything being equal. So isn't it time for uh, the church to abandon its dogma, which is harming humanity, and instead concentrate on the good work that many of you do and uh, enhance it and give a people equality and uh, also a chance to construct a sustainable society and not be an impediment in it, but a help to it. I hope you get a chance to ask that question one day and that uh, I would love to hear the answer. <laughs> and uh, Robin, may I wish those who listen to us that their brain shrinks less than expected for their age. <laughs> that is, what a what a lovely wish. Do you write that on your on your Christmas cards? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I have it. Yes. Right. I have it under my signature in my emails. Uh, Fantastic. <laughs> I love yes. it. I love it. Well, what a wonderful thought for our first show of 2024. So, uh, George, our first interview of 2024. So, George, thank you so much for being with us on The Author's Corner. It's a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.